lives, the God who reigns supreme and sovereign. Lord, we thank you that you are here as the intimate Saviour, but you are also the ruler of the nations. And so we pray for the nations in this place. And it may be here in this place you have a particular nation that's on your heart, one that you love, or maybe you want to ask the Lord to put a nation on your heart to pray for in this place. We're both God's people here locally and part of a bigger family of God. And Lord, we pray for the nations. And maybe just speak out some names of nations to pray for here in this place. Lord, I pray for Mozambique. Are there any others here in this place? Pray. Oh, Father. Lord, your word says that you are the ruler of the nations, that you are sovereign over all of humankind. And so we bring these places before you and ask for your kingdom's coming, Lord. Pray for nations that do not know you, that do not name the name of Jesus as Lord, that there would be a turning. Pray especially in this season in Ramadan for the Islamic nations. And we pray that there would be a turning to Jesus, Isa, the Saviour, that he would be turned to. Lord, we pray that you'd visit people in dreams and visions, Lord. We pray that you would give boldness to witness of Christians in those countries. We ask, O oh Lord, that you'd send us out from this place as your witnesses. Lord, and we are sorry for keeping the gospel to ourselves. Lord, may it go out, we pray. May it be heard. And drawing close to home, we're going to pray for needs here in this place, aware that often people come in burdened with pressing worries and uh, need to see God breaking through. And we believe in a God who does break through. We believe in a God who hears our prayers, that as we look to him in faith, he sees our gaze and longs to meet it with his. Now maybe you've come in here and you know what that particular burden is. So a moment quiet, I just encourage you to name it before the Lord. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our needs. You, need, you know our times of brokenness. But you also know our faith. Father, we look to you. Thank you that you are the Father, the Father who loves his children. And we ask that you'd stretch out your hand and bestow your blessing upon your children. And for situations that seem intractable, impossible, your word says nothing is impossible for God. And so, Lord, we stand on that word and ask that you would do the impossible. Can we just sing that chorus again for the last song?
So Lord, we do pray that, as in the book of Revelation, these prayers, these praises might rise before you like incense and be pleasing to you. May you take pleasure here in this place. And we pray now as we come to the reading and preaching of your word, for the work of your spirit, soften our hearts, open our ears, give us eyes to see. And we pray that you would be glorified here in our midst. Amen. Can I encourage you to have a seat? We're going to have our reading. David, thank you. Our reading tonight is from the book of Romans, chapter 8. It's a very short reading. Uh, Romans 8, beginning at verse 15. You can find this, find this on page uh, 1135 in the Bibles beside you. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Lord, open my mouth to speak your word. Open our ears to hear it and our hearts to receive it. Amen. I wonder what springs to mind for you in reading that passage which talks about the fatherhood of God, which talks about the spirit of sonship. And very often when we read the Bible, we bring more to the passage than we take away from it. To give you an example, it was many, many years um, after I became a Christian and I sat in church and have prayed time and time again the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven. And then one morning I heard somebody preach, and they said, that's a very difficult phrase for some people to pray. And that had never struck me before, because my father was a wonderful man who loved me and my sister deeply, and who we loved deeply and admired. And because that was my own experience and that was what I brought to the Lord's Prayer, for me, our Father meant somebody like my Father, only better and greater. And it had never really struck me that for many people, the experience they bring from their own Father is very far from that. It can be an experience of pain, of rejection, of disappointment, of abuse even. And sometimes we bring these things to a reading and we bring them to the things that we hear. Maybe the idea of God as Father is um, more cartoon-like for you, like the, um, the white-haired old man sat on the cloud. I wonder what the idea of fatherhood 
um, meant to the young lady who came into Friday Fridge one evening. And um, you could tell from the set of her face that she was set for a quarrel. And it was me she chose to have the quarrel with. And she was quite determined that there was a case she wanted to make, and the case was this, that um, anything that spoke of God as he, or God as father, was deeply sexist and wrong. And I don't know whether you ever remember that game where um, you get asked a series of questions and you mustn't answer yes or no. Um, Anybody here really good at it? I'm absolutely rubbish at it. Last about 30 seconds, if that. It's extremely difficult. And it was like playing that game because every time I slipped up and instead of saying God, I said he, she would bridle and say, there you go again with that sexist language. Until after three or four minutes, I did it once too often. And so what looked to me to be a very contrived and staged exit was executed and she strode up out the door with scarcely a backward glance. It's one of those occasions where it's only afterwards that you think of the answer you might have given, which of course is that God predates male and female. And that the language that we use to describe God is only ever a pale approximation because God so far transcends all the categories and concepts and ideas that we can use to express what God is like and our experience of God and our relationship. But everything that is spoken of is to try to help us into a relationship with God. If you've ever read the book um, The Shack by William Young, and I won't do a plot spoiler uh, in case you haven't yet read it, but if not, I would highly recommend it. A marvellous, marvellous Christian novel. And um, the main character, Mac, his daughter, Missy, um, little girl, is kidnapped. I won't tell you how the story ends, but sufficient to say that throughout the book, part of it is like an extended dream or vision in which Mac has a personal encounter with God, a black woman. And later on in the book, after you sort of get used to the shock of this experience, God explains to him that because of the deeply difficult and painful experience Mac had had with his own father, that God in that situation, in great grace, came to him in human form in a way that was as far from his own father as you could imagine to help with the process of healing. I just wanted to say that to start with because um, for so long, as I say, I came to so many of these passages with an encouraging um, and positive frame of mind and recognised that's not always the case. So if we do want to understand what this relationship is like and we want to experience it, And even if our own experience is not just a poor shadow, but maybe difficult, the best source for anything we can know about God and our relationship with him is found in here. And I wanted to start one verse before the um, passage that we um, had read to us by David this evening. So if you recall, it was on page... 1135, because I think verse 14 gives the context. And we're going to go on and look at those verses in a moment. But just to give 
a little bit of background first. The idea of God as Father is not a common theme in the Old Testament. It does occur on occasion, but when God is spoken of as Father, it's more a conceptual sense of God as the, like the Father of the nation. As I say, it's not common. In Islam, there are 99 different noble names for Allah. Not one of them is Father. And yet in the New Testament, we find Jesus continually, continually referring to God as his Father. In fact, 175 times in the Gospels alone, we find God referred to as Father. Because Jesus teaches us and shows us what the Father is like. And so our ideas are what God as Father means and how we might relate as fall so far short of what we can see and understand from the teaching of Jesus and what we see there. You recall in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, I'm sure, the story of the prodigal son, where he says to his father, you know, frankly, I wish you were already dead. I'd rather have my share of the goods now, and took them. And it says he went off into a far country. And how many of us have been in a far country? And it says he wasted his living. He wasted the money which he'd received from his father in wild and sinful and riotous living until it was all gone. Until in the end, there was nothing left. He had to hire himself to somebody feeding the pigs. And it says when he came to his senses, he said, you know, even my father's servants are in a better situation than I am now. I'll go back to my father and I'll say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me on as one of the hired hands. And it says his father saw him a long way off. Why did he see him a long way off? Because he was looking. Because he was continually looking for him. He hadn't locked and barred and bolted the doors and turned off the phone and turned his back. He was continually scanning the horizon, looking for his lost son. And it says he saw him a great distance off and he ran to meet him. And his son tries to blurt out this prepared speech and doesn't get halfway through it before his father throws his arms around him and receives him back and says to the servants, go and kill the fatted calf, let's have a feast. And put a robe on him, put shoes on his feet, put a ring on his finger, and he's received back as the deeply loved son that he had always been. That is a better picture of what God is like than we can find almost anywhere. And of course we find it in the teaching of Jesus. But God transcends our language, transcends the concepts that we can bring to describe him. Let's just look briefly into verse 14, because there we find this. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And it's very easy to find confusion in the view that people have, well, everybody's a child of God. We're all children of God. Sadly, no. It's not true. And you can read it in the Word of God. God wants all of us, all of us, to be his children. But we're not children of God by natural birth. 
You can read in John chapter 1 and verse 12. In fact, why don't we just look briefly at that? And it's on page 1063. John chapter 1, verse 12, page 1063. Yet to all who, be, who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's the spiritual birth. That's the new birth that we find talked about in the Bible. We're not children of God because we're born into a Christian family. I can remember as a young Christian hearing a preacher say that um, we're not a car because we're born in a garage. Not that it is not a good thing to be born into a Christian family. And if you've been born into a Christian family, thank God for that. It's a wonderful thing, a great blessing and help. But that does not make you a child of God. The fact that you have been born does not of itself make you a child of God. It says here, and we read it in verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's the Spirit that gives spiritual life, that gives new birth, and that makes us sons and daughters of God. In verse 15, we find this. It says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. You see, a slave can be a part of the family. And slaves were, in those days, part of the family. They were in the family, but they were not of the family. And that's the difference. No matter how well treated as a slave you might be, no matter how well treated you may be, if you visit another family, and you were there enjoying hospitality as a guest and sharing what is offered. You are in that family, but it doesn't of itself make you part of that family. It's the spirit of God that makes you part of God's family. And that is the same for all of us here every one of us. God wants every single person here, without exception, to be a son or daughter of God, to be a child of God. I'll go on to talk a little bit later about what we mean by a spirit of fear. But just to continue in, chap in, in verse 15, it says, by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is not a formal term. It's the equivalent of daddy. It's a very intimate, profound, and personal way of expressing a relationship. It's not the kind of term that you would use when talking of a concept. Something like the father of the nation. It wouldn't apply in that circumstance. I don't know whether you've ever seen the film Elf. It's a most amusing film that comes out, I guess, most Christmases. And Elf is a, um, a highly comical character who works with Father Christmas um, at the South Pole, making toys every year with all the other elves um, for that Christmas. And he goes on a journey 
as all good people do in these films, he goes on a journey. I can't remember whether it's New York he ends up in, I think it may be, but he ends up in a huge toy store. And at one point, um, all the children getting more and more excited because they've announced that Father Christmas is going to arrive. And so Elf shoves his way to the front with excitement. And as Father Christmas comes in, he says, I know him! And everybody turns around and laughs. But it's the sense of knowing, not knowing a fictional character, a comic book character, or something that's invented to sprinkle some stardust on Christmas. This is an intimate, deeply personal and profound relationship, not with an idea, not with a concept, but with a person. It says in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is God himself confirming with our spirit what he has done. There is no greater authority, nor do we need any greater authority. You'll find in the notes it talks about a spirit of sonship or a spirit of adoption. Because what adoption does is to give form and legality. It's not me believing something that isn't true. It's not like the duck that when it was born didn't see its mother and instead saw a dog and spent its time believing that it was a dog. It's not to do with what I think and what I feel and my emotions. Not that those things are unimportant. Our minds and our emotions and all of us are very important. That is why God has gifted them to us. But faith gives substance, gives to the intelligence that which the mind cannot reach. And what God has done by adopting us into his family is to give legality is to make beyond doubt, to make it irrefutable, defensible in a court of law. So when you get up in the morning and the sense that you're a child of God feels very faint and that feeling is dissipating, you can know because God's spirit testifies with our spirit. The spirit of God himself confirms it. You can know by the spirit of adoption that this is legal, this is permanent, this is defensible, this is irrefutable, and it makes us children of God. You recall it said in verse 15, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. What is the fear that we're talking about here? Turn forward, if you would, um, with me into Hebrews. And we look very briefly at what this fear is. It's in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15. And that's on page 1202. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15, page 1202. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, this is Jesus, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, 
and free those who all their lifetime, here it comes, all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's the fear he's talking about. Jung, the great um, psychologist, wrote that all our fears and neuroses and phobias have one root, and the basis of them is the fear of death. And it's not the process of death, particularly, that we're talking about here. It's the fear of annihilation, of disintegration, of destruction, of the ending of all that makes us who we are and of our relationships. Where did it come from? We won't go through the um, account in detail but you probably already know that it's in the story in Genesis of Adam and Eve. And however you understand that story and the account that we find there, what we find is this, that in disobeying God, Adam breaks his relationship with God and fear, fear enters in where previously there had been communion. And God still calls to us, Adam, Eve, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, I hid because I was afraid. He was afraid. The first thing that was broken was his relationship with God. The second thing that was broken was his relationship with other people. It's all her fault. Don't look at me. She gave me the apple. First his relationship with God is broken. Then his relationship with others is broken. And finally, their relationship with the wider world around them is broken. And the ground brings forth thorns and thistles. And they're cast out of the garden. Interesting, isn't it, that all the philosophies we read these days, all the self-help books and so on, always want to start at the wrong, exactly the wrong point. The first thing to be broken was the relationship with God. Then relationships with other people were broken. And then the relationship with the wider world we start to try and fix everything around us. Then we start to try and fix other people. When actually, it's us that need fixing. It's that fundamental relationship with God that by His Spirit brings us back into relationship with Him as sons and daughters of God that then flows out and outworks in our relationships with other people and then with the structures of power and politics and the institutions that make our world. In the early 1900s, a series of letters were written to the editor of the Times. And as you know, these things can run and run. And the first letter in this particular chain started, Sir, what is wrong with the world today? And a great big long list of things this person thought were wrong with the world were written to the editor and were published. And needless to say, within a few days, lots of other people had written in, Sir, what is wrong with the world today? And gave their opinion. And somebody else gave their opinion until eventually somebody wrote in and said, Sir, what is wrong with the world today? Me. And that was the last letter in the chain. Because everybody else looked at that and thought, you know, you're right. That's where it needs to start, in our own hearts, in 
bringing us into a relationship with God. The true relationship with God, the relationship brought about by the Spirit of God that makes us children, that can call, uh, call God Father, that can call him Abba, Father, Daddy, that is witnessed to by our spirit and by his spirit, that has a legality to it because we are adopted, that makes us heirs in the same way as all the children in that family are legal heirs, that frees us from the fear of death and hence brings healing for all our other fears and anxieties and neuroses and phobias. And can I say to you quite directly that if that is you, if there's an anxiety, a neurosis, a fear, a phobia that is plaguing you tonight, God can and will deal with that. And he does that by bringing you on in this relationship with him by making you a child of God. When our relationship with God as children is restored, it heals our relationships with others. It heals our relationships with the wider world. I just want to end with a quote from a book by Simon Ponsonby um, called God is for us. If you've not read it, I would highly recommend it. And in the book he says this, he said, in the Oscar-winning movie Cider House Rules, a powerful and provocative film about life in a 1940s American orphanage for unwanted babies, we see some children grow into their teens as they wait to be chosen by a family and given a name. In one scene, Curly is standing by a window in the corridor, waiting eagerly, longingly to be chosen. A suitcase is next to him. But gradually, the truth dawns on him. No one has asked for him. No one will ever want him. Ever since Eden, an orphan spirit has been programmed into the human soul. There is a deep sense of estrangement, abandonment, exclusion, and a spirit of rejection. Many recognize this angst, but don't know what it's a cry for. They try to mitigate it by finding intimacy in relationships, in sexual promiscuity or pornography, or by driving for achievement and recognition, or spoiling themselves with goods, hiding in a bottle, or hitting out angrily at the world in pain. I wonder if that describes any of us here tonight. He goes on to say, deep within, it is a cry for adoption by God, for a homecoming into the divine family. It's as if we live looking out of the window, suitcase in hand, waiting, longing for someone to come for us. God wants to lead you out of your rejection to welcome you into his family to put your suitcase away and to give you a home. So let me say this in closing. Let me ask you, 
You may have wandered for so long in a far country, far from love, far from God, far from feeling at home. God is running to meet you. Will you turn to him and will you let him receive you as the deeply loved son or daughter that he longs for you to be? Amen. For many of us that would have been a very personal word and uh, we really want to give space and time to respond and to process and to ask God to do something in our lives that we might know those things. As always, we, we're going to stand, we're going to sing in response. Uh, during this song, which is a new song perhaps for some, that speaks about the fatherhood of God, can I encourage you to come very honestly before God? Uh, with anything that Steve has said, anything that has come up as a result of what we've been sharing tonight. He's here, he's listening, and he knows the false selves that we present, and he knows our true selves. I invite you to stand, we're going to sing, and then we're going to pray together in response. And we're just going to continue just to play quietly in the background to help us just... I encourage you right now to, in your heart, ask God to lead you to the place that he wants you to be led to tonight. The book of Romans does say a few chapters before our passage that hope does not put us to shame because God has poured out his love in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray in this place, we pray, that you would pour out your love in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're thirsty. We long to know your love. We misjudge it. We forget it. We don't believe it sometimes. But, Lord, we want to stand on your word that says that we're your children, that we're adopted into your family, and we know that only you, by your spirit, can convince us of this. And as always, can I encourage you to invite God to do that in your lives personally. You might just want to put your hands out as an act of saying, God, come, come and birth that afresh in my heart. Lord, I long to know your love in my life. Come by your Spirit and make me so aware that I'm your son, that I'm your daughter, that you love me. Almost poetic there. Lord, we pray that the rain that we're hearing right now would be a rain of grace that falls on dry ground. I do have a sense that in this room that there is dry ground. People have known these things in the past, but they felt very far from being children and deeply loved. And if that's you, we want to pray for you tonight. They're only going to invite people to come forward and receive prayer. If you know that once you knew that you were a child of God, but now it feels distant, as Steve was saying, that can become a reality tonight. As we were praying before the service, we had a picture of a set of golden scales, and a sense that some, maybe one person in particular, their view of God is of one who judges. There is fear. But God says to you, no, there is no fear. There is no condemnation that you are loved and accepted. That's been done away with at the cross. And if that's you, I want you to come and receive prayer as well. 
And lastly, Steve mentioned that there are some here with fears and phobias, and you've never known where they've come from. And yet at root, they've come from this place, not knowing God's great, tremendous love for you. And if that's you, there's no judgment in this place. We want to see and pray for the power of God to break through and to bring release from those things. So Lord, for all of us, we pray, but especially for those to whom this is a very personal word. We ask for your ministry by your spirit in our lives. We're going to sing a song together in a moment. And during this song, can I invite the prayer ministry team members, leadership team members, to come forward to pray with people. And if you would like prayer for any of those things, here's a chance, here's an opportunity. Don't go home not knowing that great love of the Father that he has for you. So if I invite the prayer ministry team forward, members of the leadership team, that would be great. And let's sing together. It's quite a scary thing to come and receive prayer, but I do sense there are people here that know that you need prayer for these issues. And we're not going to make a big fuss of it, but I encourage you just to come very honestly before God and to ask for those things. And it may be that you feel that you can't come forward for those things. That's okay. But we're going to pray where you're stood. And maybe the prayer machine, could you stretch out your hands towards the congregation? And Lord, we pray and ask that afresh by the power of your Spirit, you might make known the love of God as a Father. We pray and ask that sons and daughters would know in this place that they are adopted, that they are chosen, and that nothing will take that away from them. We pray and ask that tomorrow morning, waking up, there would be a knowledge of love, of knowing adoption, knowing sonship and daughtership. We pray that perfect love would cast out all fear. In Jesus' name, we do speak to any fears in this place, fears of any judgment, any condemnation, that in this place those things are bound in Jesus' name and not allowed to rob of sonship rob of daughtership and Lord where that has happened would you more than replace with your blessing and the knowledge of your love and just we're just going to wait for a moment in the Lord. Have a sense of the Spirit of God just beginning to brood over people's lives. Receive that. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're here. We love you. And we pray and ask that you'd seal these things in our hearts and our minds, that nothing would rob us of them. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. I think we're going to join together for one last uh, song of worship.
I hope the band were expecting that. <laughs> I invite you to stand. Can I invite you not to lose these things as we go from this place? This is a truth for every day. At the same time, we have to end <laughs> at some point. So let's sing together. Could you stand and finish a song with me? Just <laughs> <laughs> For a while and just uh, chat to people that you were chatting to earlier, getting to know people. We're going to end with a word of prayer and then a blessing. Lord, we thank you for the things that you have been instructing us in, in our hearts. We thank you that we are your children and that you are our Father. We pray in us that these truths might be living truths that we find alive within us this week. And a word of blessing. Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father who loves you, the Son who has saved you, the Holy Spirit who sheds abroad the love God in your heart. Be upon you, remain upon you now and always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of